coming up on Verse Chorus Verse. Happy Halloween, jerks. We're talking horror film scores. Let's tear down the walls and hold on to the night and not <laughs> stop the fight. Good God, the 80s had a lot of tropes. That's next. Welcome, everybody, to episode 36 of Verse Course Verse. I am DL. With me is the one and only Rachel, the ragman polio. <laughs> Rachel, how are you tonight? I'm so good. I'm spooky. Let's do this. Also with me is Evil doesn't even need a nickname for Halloween, Jimmy. <laughs> Evil, how are you? This is probably the most excited I've been for one of our podcasts. <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. We're not alone tonight. We brought a special guest for very obvious reasons that'll become clear soon. We have Rachel Reeves here. Rachel, how are you? I am so good. It is October 1st as of the recording this, so we are officially in spooky Halloween season, which is very special to me, very near and dear to my heart, and I'm really excited to be sharing this moment with you guys here as well, so thank you for having me. Your bio speaks clearly to how much you would enjoy the month of October. It's a little scary. Oh. She is a freelance writer with bylines at Consequence, Rue Morgue, Dread Central, Daily Grindhouse, is it Valingo? How do you pronounce that? Yeah, is that right? Valingo. That's right. Film Cred, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. So you're starting to get the hint of maybe what she does. <laughs> she is also one of the co-hosts on a Stephen King podcast called The Losers Club, which is on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. How long has the Stephen King podcast been going? I think they started in 2016. But I just joined them uh, a little over a year ago. So there's a little family of us, a little club, one might even say, of about like you know, a losers club, like a losers club, a club of losers. <laughs> um, so there's about 12 of us that kind of rotate. So it, it's a good variety of oh, people. Oh, there's a lot of you. Yeah, a good variety of people that come in and out. It's a nerdy Didn't little club. Did you guys get tweeted about by Stephen King? He did. That was pretty <gasps> wild. Yeah. He, what? Whoa. He talked about how he listens sometimes and so if that wasn't enough pressure before i sure felt it afterwards <laughs> that would scare the shit out of me i know yeah i don't even know what to compare i guess i'd be like prince saying he listens to our podcast which he i don't think he can he do can. he can't do that <laughs> anymore um, yes you're mostly writing it's it looks like you do a lot more writing than you do podcasting is that right yeah i, I well yeah i record probably two or three times a month with the losers club um and then i do pop up here and there on other podcasts you know guest podcasts and stuff like this one which is awesome i love it i love talking about this stuff all the time so any chance i get to do it i'm i'm down well we're going to definitely have you on at least once a year to talk. This episode is coming out the week of Halloween, and we are talking horror film scores. And Rachel is very experienced in this as she interviews people that write film scores for horror films. Pretty obvious why we'd have her. <laughs> she also works at David's favorite place in the whole world. Aww. Evil and Rachel, can you guess where that is? The Record Exchange? Yep. Yeah. <sighs> yep. So if you haven't figured it out by now, Rachel Reeves is officially the coolest person <laughs> on the face of the planet. <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe just a nerdy with very niche tastes who refuses to do anything else with her life. <laughs> That's kind of the definition of cool, isn't it? I, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. If you could tell my mom that, that would be great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what got you so obsessed with horror films? You know, I don't know. My teenage years is where I really started to dig into it. My dad had always been into action films, you know, anything with a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone or Jean-Claude, like he was all about yeah. that and sci-fi. So it wasn't much of a leap to start experimenting with horror. I love the variety that horror has. I love the wealth of concepts that horror can explore. You know, you've got horror comedies, you've got slow burns, you've got sci-fi horror, you've got psychological horror. You, I mean, there's everything in there. And I love the community. It's a really welcome place. And it is. 
it's just so much fun to dig into it and get to talk to a lot of the creators behind it. One of the things that I noticed studying for this one, which was a really nice change of pace for a couple weeks, we as a community can be pretty fucking judgy. What? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the comments that we make to each other, a lot of this and that is, uh, why do you like this? This sucks. This and that. While studying for this. The horror community is the opposite of that. Everybody is just so respectful and and sees why you would like this and why you wouldn't like that. And it's just a whole different vibe. I don't know if you guys have ever been to or seen like horror conventions. There's not very many other genres that you get that kind of thing. (laughs) There's sci-fi, there's, you know, sci-fi and Comic-Con, but also kind of nerdy (laughs) subject matters, but you don't get that kind of stuff really for like action films or drama films or comedies. Like horror is really just a whole other beast. (laughs) It really is. Rachel Polio. Yeah. First course, first Rachel. Mm -hmm. Are you a horror film buff? Yeah. Fan? Buff? mm. Yeah. I'm not a profesh. I'm no Rachel Reeves, um, but but I am a fan. Yes, I actually am in a. Oh, we have a work group that goes to see horror movies. Every Ooh, I month. love that. So and like, next month is very booked. There's a lot coming out. So yeah, like what? Let's see. Last one we need to see Candyman last month. How was that? It was good. Was I've it never better seen than any the of the Candymans. See, I oh. don't know. Oh, I didn't. Well, I don't shit. know what to compare it to. Sorry. Rachel Reeves. Was it better than the uh, '90s one? <laughs> I, I don't think it's fair to compare one of the... I think they're good uh, compliments to each other. They work together, I you think. You see what I'm talking about with this horror film community? She <laughs> 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 um, What about you, Evil? Are you a horror film person? I like specific horror films. I wouldn't say I'm a fan broadly of the genre. I was a lot more when I was younger. My mind's already a dark and scary place. (laughs) I have to carefully curate what I do it these days. Um, But there are certain films that I really do adore. The ones that we're going to talk about tonight are fantastic. I really enjoyed this. Like you said, it was a good change of pace. I had so much fun prepping for this. What we're doing tonight is we're talking three horror film scores. We are talking the 1986 classic Trick or Treat, (laughs) which is just a cinematic wonder. (laughs) We're talking (laughs) It Follows, which is a newer horror film with a kind of a newer age score that really bites a lot from older stuff, respectfully. And then we're doing, each year we're going to do a pinnacle score, which we chose this year to be Psycho. It's the first year we're doing this. To me, that's the, the, if I could think of a score that would start it all, to me, it's Psycho. Those are the three we're doing. We kind of randomly picked that. We came up with this idea one night and evil right away said trick or treat. I would really like to do that. Not a big shocker there. Rachel Polio threw It Follows in there, which she had never seen. So I still don't know where that came from. I don't know. The type of music that's in It Follows is just David music. It's just a guy on a, like a Korg. It's a, I just love it. I love it so much. And Psycho is Psycho. It was just weird because it kind of all fell into place. And we have these three kind of perfect fitting, very different scores that we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to get started soon. First, we have to talk about the most important part of the night. That is what are we drinking Evil, I'm going to start with you. What do you have tonight? In the tradition of me drinking gin drinks, not being a gin drinker, I went with the <laughs> Corpse Reviver number two. It seemed <laughs> apropos, and it's actually delicious. So that is what I'm drinking tonight. What's in it? Uh, Corpse Reviver is gin, Lille Blanc, orange liqueur, Cointreau, lemon juice, and a touch of absinthe. Fancy schmancy. Very uh, fancy. You know. Rachel Polio, what about you? Are you drinking a German beer? No, I'm not a big beer fan. Oh. Unless there's a hamburger and bowling. I pre-gamed with a man, uh, a white Russian. You almost said Manhattan. I almost said Manhattan. That's disgusting. Mm. No, it's just not for me. It's not disgusting. <laughs> so judgy, these ones. Um, I made a white Russian. I was trying to stay on brand 1960s cocktails and that was on there. And I was like, I know how to make a white Russian. And then I drank it. And now here we are. So I have a, uh, I made a milkshake. <laughs> so it's Briar's vanilla ice cream. For those of you that want to know, um, I got some mother's circus animal cookies. 
<laughs> and some whipped cream vodka in there, a little half and half. You're staying on tag for sure. <laughs> it's you're. <laughs> I'm staying on my brand. <laughs> Rachel Reeves, we haven't spoken for a while. Are you a drinker? Do you drink? Not really, which is wild because I feel like that is not how uh, you and I used to operate. So <laughs> um, no, we used, we used to throw a few back. I don't know what happened, man. It's like I hit like 30, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't hold my liquor anymore. <laughs> Oh. Well, that just means you're healthier than I, us, gu- I guess. I don't know. I'm drinking an um, energy drink here at like 9.30, so I don't know what that oh, means. Oh, never mind. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> like, I don't think that's what that means. I am drinking an Appletini. It is a good Appletini. I actually made my own apple liquor. I just ever cleared some Granny Smith apples for a couple days one part that, one part Applejack, some lime. It's really good. It's an apple teeny that doesn't smell and taste like green Jolly Ranchers. It actually <laughs> smells actually smells like an orchard. It's really awesome. It's very good. I like that you turned Everclear into a verb right there. Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, I Everclear myself. It wasn't pretty at all. <laughs> that is what we're doing tonight. I'm very excited for this. I'm especially excited because I got the rights to all three of these. So I am going to get to, we're going to get to play all of these throughout the whole what? episode. <laughs> it's going to be fucking awesome. We That's so will cool. be right back. are back we were initially <laughs> just kicking around soundtracks in general the first thing that came to mind is trick-or-treat shocker i had this on <laughs> cassette tape that i stole out of my brother he had like the the double-sided cassette tape carrier where you could unzip one side and it had a bank of tapes and you flip it over unzip it's got yeah the and i would always steal stuff out of there late junior high early high school I mean, and we're talking like the old school cassette tape, not clear, not with the cool graphics on it or anything, just like the off yellow colored black print cassette tape. And I felt it wasn't a shiny silver cassette tape that when you put it in. (laughs) No, No, but I I do think it possessed me. Um, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And here we are today. I had never seen the movie before. I just had this soundtrack. I did eventually wind up watching the movie out of curiosity, probably in the early 2000s. And I kind of discarded, I'm like, this is 80s garbage. How wrong was I? Very. So wrong. Wow. (laughs) There's a music video that I had sent to you guys. I found it on some (laughs) sketchy Russian YouTube-like website. I saw it on actual YouTube years ago. I didn't even know that in the video... The singer is not the singer of the band. It's actually a character from the movie. I eventually saw the movie again and fell in love with it. This isn't necessarily a horror movie. Let's get into the details of this thing. 1986, Trick or Treat, also known as Ragman or Death at 33 RPM in different markets. Hmm. It was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, who... He was obsessed. He saw all the Freddy Krueger money in the horror industry, Mm. and he wanted kind of his own spinoff. I think he poached a couple of producers from the second Freddy Krueger movie, Freddy's Revenge, along with the effects guy from that movie. Looking back, this movie is super cheesy, and and it doesn't age well, but none of those movies at the time really did. If you actually watch it in the context of when it was released, some of the effects in this thing are crazy, and the stunt crew is wild. And I don't want to go into too much detail on the movie because this is a music. Crazy good? The reason I picked it. Are the effects really good for that time? I'm honestly asking. I'm not being too snarky. Oh, yeah. Are they? Yeah, yeah. For that time, and like the stunt work and stuff, it's actually good. It it doesn't age well because this is a movie from 1986. Yeah. But go watch it back-to-back with like golden child or ghostbusters or anything like that and it's on par the reason i picked it we sort of were tossing around talking about musical scores the score for this movie is a soundtrack it's like actual rock music that was created by a band called fastway Fast 
Causeway is the side project of Fast Eddie Clark. He was the guitar player for Motorhead. We're talking Ace of Spades era Motorhead. The mm-hmm. singer is the singer for Flogging Molly. Blows like, my mind. <laughs> right. What? Yeah. And That's insane. S- somehow with Motorhead and Flogging Molly mixed together, you get this, I don't even know how to describe the music, Quiet Riot mixed with Rat, mixed with Def Leppard, mixed with, <laughs> yeah. just like throw yeah. all of that stuff from the 80s in a blender and you get Fastway. And I love this soundtrack for me because I found this music a long time ago. It's just stuck with me and I've, I've enjoyed it ever since. A couple other things to touch on. If you buy the original motion picture soundtrack, you get basically a Fastway album. They recorded seven new songs. They included two songs from previous albums that I think were kind of in the same sort of vein as what they recorded for the movie. And it's considered the soundtrack to the film as well as a Fastway album, which is crazy. There's also some really good work. The score alongside the soundtrack was created by a guy who went on to work on the Hellraiser franchise as well. Christopher Young. Christopher Young, yeah. Yeah. He did a ton of shit. He did The Grudge. He did... Yeah, a bunch of stuff. So you Didn't have... He, he did... I can't find my notes. Didn't he do the original Pet Cemetery? Uh, he did the new one. Oh, okay. Well, fuck him then. <laughs> just kidding. Just I'm but just kidding. He's... I'm kidding. So what's interesting about this is that the score is a mix of traditional score work by Christopher Young, as well as this rock slash metal album recorded by Fastway that was used in the movie because this is a movie about rock and metal music and where you have this demonic rock figure resurrected and he's like singing this music that was produced by Fastway. What did you guys think of the movie and the soundtrack and how they they mesh together? I own the soundtrack on on vinyl. <laughs> oh, holy shit. <laughs> in, so, in pre-COVID times, I would, you know, I would actually DJ a lot at ha- various Halloween events and this was always in my rotation. I love this movie. I love this soundtrack. This was a really interesting time. For these movies and there's a lot of movies like this that kind of came out at this time but i never get tired of them you've got dawkin who worked on nightmare on elm street 3 you have wasp that did some ghoulies stuff you have dawkin yeah like the dawkin the dawkin they did the dream warrior song yes. holy shit <laughs> um, okay even over in Italy, like Dario Argento had Iron Maiden and Motorhead songs in some of his movies and like Phenomena and a Lamberto Bava film called Demons had a bunch of like Billy Idol and mm-hmm. Return of the Living Dead had Cramps. Lost Boys is a good example, too. There's a lot of these movies that came out where these rock bands were cool and these rock bands were part of the soundtrack and it was worked into it it was more than just music it was like an attitude to kind of inject into the film just like evil was saying everybody was trying to cash in on that yeah yeah (laughs) but i do think this one is so fun i don't know if you've ever seen black roses or rocktober blood either but those are kind (laughs) of similar i recommend checking those out too if you like (laughs) trick-or-treat rachel polio it was perfect I loved it. I love this movie. <laughs> and I loved I did too. Watching it and thinking Jimmy wrote this. <laughs> this this score and probably the screenplay too because it was Rock's just Rock's chosen warriors will rule the apocalypse. It couldn't have been more perfect. I thought it was great. It was the epitome of every 80s hair band. It fit the film really well. It kind of felt like me, and Jimmy, you need to check me on this if I'm wrong. It kind of felt like there's this episode of Black Mirror where Miley Cyrus is playing a pop star. The songs that she sings and the music in that episode are just kind of good enough. They pass for pop. Like you wouldn't question it if you didn't know pop that well. This soundtrack, and I know it was written by actual rock stars. It felt like a little bit of mocking that time period. Mm. And maybe I'm wrong. That's why you had Gene Simmons and you have Ozzy. Yeah. Like they're, they're making fun of themselves. They're making fun of the scene. Like they all know exactly what they are. And the guy playing Sammy Kerr, like he wasn't a musician. Like he wasn't a real rock guy. I think what has made this film work as like and made it a cult classic is it's just it's well done in the style of the time, but it's so slightly off in so many ways. Like, here's the thought that I had. 
Back to the Future was came out the year before this. It was originally filmed with, I think, Eric Stoltz playing the lead role. Yeah. And he played it, like, very serious. Like, he took the role very... It wasn't, like, the Marty McFly that we know. Mm-hmm. They were well into production and scrapped it, brought in Michael J. Fox, who I think was the original pick, but he had contractual ties, which ties into this, this film Did that we're talking about. Did he have family ties, though? Hey, oh. He had family ties. <laughs> so Mark Price clap. played Skippy. Michael J. Fox's character's best friend in Family Ties. And he's a comedian. And he played this role as the straight man. And I think it made it almost too endearing. His character wasn't a caricature, but everything else in the film almost is. Like Sammy Kerr, the actor who played him was a solid gold dancer. Yeah, He was not a, a metal guy. They had offered the role to Blackie Lawless from Wasp. I think even Gene Simmons said that they offered him that role, but he wanted the role of the... The radio DJ, because he he had this whole Wolfman Jack character in mind, who was one of his childhood heroes. So they know who they are, just like Rachel said. Ozzy's playing a reverend, like a, a very, <laughs> the, the PMRC. Yeah. He was like a very, he is like parodying the people who are coming after him and his No script either. They just told him, no. just go, man. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. I have a question for both of you. Did you watch all the way to the end of the credits? I doubt it. Was There's there just more one after? little snippet, a little mm. post-credit little scene. Post-credit? Rachel Reeves nods her head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it being just slightly off is part of why it wasn't like a major critical success, but also makes it so endearing. Yeah. This whole thing, it was really just a cash grab. I mean, Dino, the De Laurentiis company, was no stranger to that. You know, they saw a trend and they're like, we got to cash in on that. So that's all this was, was an attempt to do that. And I mean, it comes through. You can tell that like, it's not like they were really invested in the metal scene or anything. But <laughs> I, I, I think it's great. I think it's funnier because of that. It's so, oh, it's so good. There's so many amazing parts in it you asked like how it functions within the film and i think so at the beginning of the film it starts with all these rock songs and then it kind of transitions into more score which really i will say really follows the story in a way because before the music was just existing in this kid's life like he was just listening to the music so it makes sense that it was just those kind of tracks but then once he gets this record and once Sammy kind of comes into the real world again in a different form, the music changes. Now it's like a different trajectory. Now this, he's coming in and rewriting all this stuff. So it would make sense. I don't know if they actually were like trying for this, but it does kind of make sense that it would kind of transition into more just score (laughs) sounding music versus soundtrack kind of music. I just feel like in true rock star form, they got half hour through and they're like, fuck this. Just let the composer (laughs) do do everything else. (laughs) I also love that when the pool scene starts where he goes to the pool party, That when he walks into the pool party, it's this, I don't know what song it is, but it's this in excess Duran Duran style song. The type of music that every metal guy must have fucking hated back then. (laughs) Yeah. This is what all the evil douchebags are listening to. (laughs) I said early on, it's not a horror film. To me, it's not a horror movie. It bills itself as that, but it's more, what if you took Ghostbusters and Encino Man and threw them in a blender, (laughs) you get this movie. (laughs) It's pretty close. It's such a good movie. I do still find it really endearing. I myself, like I was in high school when my favorite musician died, Joe Strummer. And when he passed away, like I remember that like hitting me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Those opening scenes where he's experiencing that. I still find that really sweet because I still think it's, it's really relatable, especially when you're that age and like how obsessed you were with music. Sometimes these artists can completely like take over your life and just take over everything you're thinking about and you want to be them. And he's writing him letters. Like, can you back mask a CD? Yeah, probably not. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. There was some weird (laughs) shit there in the whole story of wait. So he's reversing the record. But then he's recording it onto tape. How is this working? And then eventually it's just like, fuck it. I'm just talking to you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I love how he would just like go to town on any kind of electronics with a yeah. bat. And somehow that was going to stop the resurrected demon. I have a, a question for Rachel if she knows. Because I couldn't Evil, find you're going to have to be more specific. 
<laughs> not V versus Cora's versus Rachel, because she wouldn't have the answer to this question. You don't know this that. This is a question about this. Yeah. No. I know okay. lots of things. I want you to answer it then. Fine. <laughs> what you got? I want to know if Fastway was just recording an album and got roped into doing this, or if this if the songs they recorded for it were specifically for the soundtrack. Because there's two tracks yeah. that are pulled from previous albums like i couldn't find an answer to that I, so i didn't know if you would know i don't know for sure i mean i've always understood it that they were hired to write the songs for the film i've never read or seen anything to state otherwise because it was released like really quickly after the film was released mm-hmm. like it didn't come out before like years later you know so i think it was always kind of intended to be a pair so i think that's all we have for <laughs> trick-or-treat fantabulous we're going to take a break and then we're going to get to our second movie of the night we are back let's get in the david portion of this Every portion is the David portion. Same. I don't... It's because you talk a lot. We are getting to our second movie of the night. Let's talk It Follows. Yeah. It's a newer one. 2014. Directed by David Robert Mitchell. It is a much different avenue than Trick or Treats by 1986 Mm -hmm. very different feel (laughs) this movie is about aids i'm just kidding it's not about aids i actually david what you can't tell me that at some point in this movie you didn't think that it was clearly about stds right in the end i don't think that that's what it's necessarily about but we can talk about it later it's a thing that haunts you after you fuck you don't think that that okay that's fair am i gonna have to edit all this out that's not offensive you just had to go to like the worst std You had to go to like death. Like if you have premarital sex, you're going to die. Rachel, did you watch this movie? I mean, I did. If you have sex, then somebody's going to like rip your legs apart and kill you and murder. It was just like a broken leg. It wasn't like. I think she was dead. That's just my. Well, she was dead for sure, but it's not like he ripped her leg. He just. All right. Uh, Richard Vreeland was the composer, otherwise known as Disaster Peace. He had grown in popularity for, he had done some other soundtracks and a lot of video games. Mm -hmm. Apparently he had gotten really popular with a game called Fez. I hope that's how you pronounce it, F-E-Z. Apparently they had to rush the production of this score because Cannes Film Festival had accepted it. And so instead of having like months to work on the score, they had weeks. And essentially what Richard Vreeland, he and the director, David Robert Mitchell, from what I understand, from what I read, David Mitchell gave him a bunch of stuff to research and bite from a lot of the Carpenter soundtracks and Psycho and stuff like that. And basically Vreeland, who was a synth guy, turned it into a much more modern, darker 2014 style. this style i absolutely love it after listening to this score looking at its part in history i think that it had a lot to do with tons of scores moving forward stranger things came out a couple years after this and (laughs) you look at that music compared to this and it's very similar you could say the same thing about this with a few things a couple years before this i want to ask rachel reeves this right off the bat Mm -hmm. because you know a lot more about this and timetables in your opinion the it follows score where does this stand in moving the the whole neo synth movement i think drive was a bigger influence which was was that like 2011? 2011. Yeah, I think Drive and Cliff Martinez really kind of kicked off the neo-nostalgia kind of synthwave movement. I remember when this came out because it was kind of an indie film. David Robert Mitchell hadn't really done a lot. I think this was his second feature. Even in my day-to-day life, I saw a lot of the young kids I work with who are much younger than me freaking out over this movie, freaking out over this music. 
we sold a lot of copies of it. Oh, really? At Record Exchange. And I thought that was so rad. Yeah. Just it was really connecting with a lot of kids just as a piece of music. So I do think it's important. And it was a kind of a lower budget film, but it really kind of blew up, which is always fun and awesome to see. Where are you at with this style of music? Um, It's not my jam, but I absolutely thought it fit great with the movie. You know, it did. Yeah, have a little bit of pre-Stranger Thing feel to it. Uh, I thought it worked really, really well. I think I'm kind of there with Evil. I'm really picky about horror films. I have a hard time with a lot of them. I do like this one. I love this soundtrack. Towards the end of this, after watching it the second or maybe the third time, I kind of thought it was a whole social commentary on sexual assault. There's the really weird ending in the pool. All of a sudden she sees the vision of, I think it's her father. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. Because the song is called Father Mm -hmm. that's playing. And you see what they pointed out that I read is that there's an earlier part in the movie where she's in a mirror and there's Polaroids and one of them is of her and that same guy, Mm -hmm. which is her dad. So I don't know if that's saying that her dad assaulted her or what, but... And during that scene too... They said, who is it? What does it look like? And she said, I don't want to say. Yeah. So there's that aspect of it. And in the end of the movie, there's kind of the whole, she's not just having sex because she has to, or because to try to fix what's going on in her head and everything like that. She does it because she likes the other person and they're like, was that okay? And she's she's like, I mean, not really, but it's getting there. I think that's a great reading. I don't think that he's ever said. I think it's one of those things where like people ask him all the time and he's like, it is what you wanted it to be. You know, it is. I don't know. Like (laughs) he's never definitively been like, oh, well, actually I was thinking I was talking about it. No, he's never done that. So whether or not he actually knows, I don't know. (laughs) But he's just kind of leaving it ambiguous us, but I don't think that that reading is far off at all. But I do think that's what's cool about it is you can put that lens on it and it totally makes sense. And if you want to look at it through an STD lens, you can look at it and it still makes sense. And I'm sure that there's a bunch of other ways that people can read it. And honestly, that's probably not wrong either. Evil, did you listen to this soundtrack without watching the movie? I did. I like Synthwave. I'm not like a huge fan, but I, I enjoy it. And so, the, I, yeah, I had it on kind of in the background throughout the day and it's just enjoyable. It's like, it's a, it's good music to be productive to for me, I guess. I don't know. I told you my mind is dark and scary. So <laughs> this this actually lightened things up a little bit. Um, I, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the soundtrack. I like how the two kind of juxtapose. It's like retro modern music. And then the setting of this movie is like, how? What time did this movie take place in? We're watching. What? When? What? When the fuck does this take place? Yeah, we're watching these old like CRT televisions, and the cars are kind of newer, but not like brand new. And then the girl with like the the like clamshell reader. It's very otherworldly, and so I think the choice, like synthwave, which is kind of a retro modern sound, is also kind of an otherworldly thing. It was a brilliant choice for me. And also the use of silence in the mm. movie is underrated, mm-hmm. incredibly underrated. We'll get to that when we talk about the next film as well. So something I did read about the setting, because I was trying to guess too, and of course you just first think synth and it's 80s and it's got that vibe to it. One of the things that I read on it is that they tried to make it a little ambiguous to make it feel more dreamlike. You were kind of made to guess when it was supposed to be, because in like a dream, everything's normal until you have like penis fingers. Like everything's normal until one thing is just like slightly off. (laughs) This point in time in 2000, was it 14 that this came out? Yeah. I remember at this point in time, I was really fucking sick of horror movies because it was all torture porn. It was all gory shit. And then all of a sudden this came out, which was just this dark, suspenseful, eerie, I think that same year, I had looked up Babadook, I think, came out that same year. Mm -hmm. And Creep, which is this fucking awesome, like, first-person horror film. A lot of horror films at that time started to come out again that I actually like. It's funny because it feels so fresh, but it's also pulling so much from so much other things. But it does it in such a cool way. I mean, this is classic slasher music in a very refreshed modern sense. The music in this film, it defines the threat because here you have this thing that has no shape. It has no discernible identity. It could be anybody. Like You don't know 
watching it what you should be afraid of, just like the characters don't. But it's the music that tells you <laughs> like what you should be yeah. scared of. Mm -hmm. That's the same exact thing they were doing. Like you think Friday the 13th, you think Halloween. John Carpenter was mentioned every time I read an article about this score. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, that's easy. Yeah. To, it is similar too, because I mean, the whole reason John Carpenter scored Halloween is because he said he was cheap and fast. So he was cheap and fast. <laughs> and you know what is easy to do? A synth thing, because it's one person usually mm -hmm. in a room by themselves. It also plays into the... the time period being really ambiguous yeah, I, and it also fits into that too because yeah it could be 80s it could be 90s maybe it's 2014 question for all of you there is a part in the movie this doesn't really have to do with the score although it kind of does because once they start getting to this part i just fucking love the music in this it's not all horror film it starts to be a little more ambiotic and going along with the scene mm -hmm. but the part where they decide that they're going to go to the pool they're walking there mm -hmm. and they have this weird commentary about how they're this is in detroit and they're going below eight mile mm -hmm. and how they weren't ever allowed to do that it's this weird social commentary that I honestly didn't understand what they were saying. Slip shading. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. It just came off as a wrong side of the tracks and my life is horrible anyway. So what the fuck I'm gonna do the things that I'm not supposed to do. Just the neighborhood that they're in and the fact that it is happening to them. These kids who, you know, they seem like good kids. Like you've seen a lot of movies, especially in slasher films. These kids are doing bad things and that's why these bad things happen to them, right? Like they're drinking, oh, yeah. you're dead. Having premarital sex. Right. They're not really doing drugs, they seem to have a good home life. They have this support system, but so, but it's still happening to them. I think the lesson to this movie is don't fuck the guy with the earring. Oh, that's... I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> This didn't strike me while I was watching it, but just through this conversation, there was there was a scene where early on they were being observed from across the street by two people. And one of them was like, those people over there, they're a mess or something like oh, that. Yeah. There was like this commentary on them across the yeah. street, like those others over there are a mess. And it just hit me now that you guys might be onto something other than penis fingers with where you're going. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this after... Uh, this discussion because I'm just glad yeah. we found a title of this episode. That makes me happy. <laughs> Good old penis fingers. I did watch it twice studying for this and I had already seen it. I'm not sure I can watch it again. Guess I just associate it with sexual assault, but this movie fucking disturbs me. Yeah. This is not an easy watch for me. Yeah. I watched about 30 or 40 of minutes of it and I was like, mm, I'm going to watch something happier for a little bit and then pick this up tomorrow. You feel for them and you feel for her. Like when she goes out to that boat, it's mm. gut wrenching. Ugh, you know, yeah. the, the, yeah. that's the kind of choice she has to make. Like, that's awful. And so they do a really good job at, like, establishing these God dynamics. Damn it, I forgot about that. Bringing it back to the music. I think that the music does support that. Like, yes, there's some really scary, like, really pretty intense musical parts that are kind of associated with the danger element. But there's some really subtle beautiful moments as well yeah i mean that's what a good score should do right it should provide the vital emotional undercurrent this score really does that really well like there's a lot of moments with her that really tell you about her they're kind of really stripped down mm -hmm. really minimalist pieces she's just a really simple sweet girl who likes really normal things <laughs> yeah. that simple you know caring about the kids thing there was something i wrote down when they were all sitting in the backyard they all had sodas with straws in them and they were eating Rice Krispie treats. And it was just this like really <laughs> sweet, this isn't stuff that bad kids yeah. do. Yeah. Caffeine-free sodas, eating the Rice Krispie treats. The only thing that threw me off is that when she is on a date with the guy after the movie, they're in a mm -hmm. restaurant and she looks like she's drinking a cocktail. She's drinking something out of a coupe. Yeah. The only reference of age is when she was talking about the first guy she's like he's 21 she was like explaining him mm -hmm. to her friend and that that was the only age reference that i had to operate from mm -hmm. so it was like hard to gauge like are these kids younger some of them in that age range I, yeah and then I, I picked up on that as well where they were they were drinking so it's added to the ambiguity for me that's it for it follows i absolutely love this it's interesting because in a interview you had talked about how many people went and bought this the score mm -hmm. to it follows he basically said that he's not even that comfortable with people just listening to the score. 
by itself. It's supposed to go with the movie. But yeah. the director, Mitchell, wanted him to release it because it was going to help promote the movie. And he was very, you know, whatever's going to help the movie I'm going to do. But I thought that was interesting that a musical artist would say, I don't want my music listened to by itself. This is supposed to go with a movie. I've talked with a few composers about this idea because I think it's really interesting, <laughs> especially. OK, so obviously we know a lot of musicians that have turned into the film composing world, especially lately. Recently, I asked Charlie Closure this, who did all the Saw films, but before he was a film composer, he was in Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> so I asked him that question Jesus. once, like, when you're composing, do you ever struggle with the idea that, like, you're not necessarily writing a full song? Like, are you writing these film cues knowing that they're going to be released as a film score? Like, are you looking at your overall film score like an album? And he did say that he struggles with that sometimes because he wants it to be a good listening experience from beginning to end. He himself edits the soundtracks. So he'll take stuff and rearrange stuff so that it does make a good listening experience because sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. It's not fun to listen to a 30 second cue of just noise. It makes sense to me that he, maybe he would say that I don't want this released because it's not very enjoyable to listen to. I think that's a struggle that a lot of these artists go through. That's and fascinating. You got to talk to the saw nine inch nails person. That's, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. <laughs> the cool thing about him doing all of the saw films. So I've talked to him twice now. And last time I talked to him, he was like, all right, I'll talk to you when a saw 10 goes. <laughs> that is it for it follows we're gonna take a break and we're gonna get to the big one. we're gonna get to what i think is the biggest to do of all time as far as horror film scores maybe even movies i don't know i'm gonna have we're gonna have to talk about this we'll be right back talking about Sven. That crazy motherfucker. <laughs> I like that Sven. I miss Sven. Same. We're back. We're going to talk about our third score of the evening. It's the most important one. I'm going to hand the reins to Rachel Polio. First chorus versus own. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel the confidence in that good luck. You know I love you and you're going to do great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Released in 1960, produced and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Who? Uh, score by Sorry. Alfred I'll shut Hitchcock. Up. I'll shut up. Google him. He did, he did a lot of stuff. It's kind of indie filmy stuff. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> the score was done by uh, Bernard Herrmann. It was a lower budget movie than most of the Hitchcock stuff. He filmed it in black and white. And at that point, it was a choice because color was available. The movie premiered to mixed reviews and was considered pretty controversial at the time. Budget was $806,947, in case you're curious. <laughs> uh, the box office was $50 million, so they made it back pretty quick. After Hitchcock died in 1980, Universal Pictures produced some follow-ups, three sequels, a remake, a made-for-television spinoff, mm -mm. and a prequel television series that was set in the 2010s. What was the TV spinoff called? Bates Motel. Yes, Thank that's you. right. I knew that. Other works from this gentleman, Bernard Herrmann. He also did music for Twilight Zone, Taxi Driver, Citizen Kane, Cape Fear, 1962 version, uh, North by Northwest, Vertigo. He also did uh, the music for War of the Worlds. Yeah. Orson Welles, apparently. He did everything. Yeah. Uh -huh. He just did it. He, he did, did everything. Yeah. Yeah. And originally, Hitchcock had asked for a jazz score, but Herman thought a stringed orchestra would fit the black and white vibe better. <laughs> Thank you. I was holding it I in. Think like Morricone. No, I get it. But it's still hilarious. There was a lot of like Italian horror films and stuff that used a lot of that kind of, maybe not quite so jazz as you're thinking. <laughs> An analysis of the score of Psycho pointed out that uh, stringed instruments gave Herman access to a wider range in tone dynamics and instrumental special effects than any other single instrument would have. And actually I did read, which was kind of interesting, is to make them sound more aggressive, more abrupt, as they put the mic closer to the instruments to get that oh, rough sound. Really? Yep. 
I just, I love the score so much. I also love that I didn't do too much research besides listening to it a lot because I wanted to go off of what Rachel had fact-wise. I did read that, so Hitchcock, and everybody knows this, I'm sure, Hitchcock was such a anal, retentive, psychotic, every single millimeter of a film is his and not yours. And he gave Herman so much leeway with this one. I cannot Mm -hmm. overstate the trust that Hitchcock put in Herman for the score is not, that is not normal. Even um, there was something that I read that was talking about the shower scene and you know how aggressive the violins and the strings are in that scene. Originally Hitchcock wanted it to be no music at all Nothing. just to be silent yeah um and herman like kind of went behind his back and just made something just in case and then hitchcock was like how about some music and herman was like actually i have this for you already <laughs> here you go um and <laughs> later was quoted to say that 33 percent of the movie was the hitchcock music, said and that was that. hitchcock saying that about herman's music yeah which if hitchcock's saying that with his selfish elitist whatever that means that it was more like 66 yeah. <laughs> percent, honestly <laughs> I am very excited to get to Rachel Reeves. What is your opinion on this score? I mean, it's iconic and memorable for a reason. I think that it's one of the most mainstream and recognizable, maybe not overall film score, but uh, there's a few cues in here that you're going to play to somebody and they're going to know what it's from, even if they haven't seen the film. And there's not very many film scores that can do that. The only other one that I can think of really easily would be Jaws, Mm. but It owes a lot to this (laughs) because it's very similar. Uh The importance of it is huge. It was a really interesting time for this to happen. So there, there were two films that came out that year. Psycho was obviously the most notable, famous one, but there was another one called Peeping Tom uh, that came out in 1960 by this director named Michael Powell, which was also very ahead of its time in a lot of ways and really influenced the horror genre. And it did some kind of similar things with the film score. It's about this photographer who stalks and kills these women. But every time before a kill, it's um, from his POV. So, you know, you don't see him. It's kind of like Friday the 13th where you just the camera is this person, Mm -hmm. right? You hear his camera like whirring. And then that's how you know that he's getting ready to kill somebody. It's kind of interesting because you see that a lot later in a lot of slasher films. And those came out the same year. I call it like auditory weapon mimicry. The music (laughs) is embodying the weapon, right? Not only are you seeing it, you're hearing it. That might be the title of the... There's so many good titles. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that had quite been done in that way before. And also just the way, just like Rachel was saying, how the violins were played. So he had this stripped down orchestra and really used the strings. But then he started really kind of tearing apart the sound of the violin and like what it could do. And at that time, like violins weren't played that way. Yeah, They weren't really used that way. (laughs) That wasn't proper technique. That's not, you know, what these classically trained Hollywood studio musicians are like what they want to do to their very expensive instrument. But that's something that, you know, is so ingrained in horror today, kind of those extended techniques and these experimentation that you do with sound because what it does is it makes it unsettling. Another thing that gets lost in Psycho too that I do want to point out is that it's beautiful. Yeah. On top of this really scary, like really famous sounds that everybody knows as Psycho, there's a lot of really beautiful kind of classic Hollywood score. And there's also the other side of that and how you balance those two and how you work them together, I think is really interesting. And I think a lot of composers don't really get enough credit for. Yeah. Evil, you strike me as the type that would really, really get into a movie like this. Do you like older movies like this or are do you just want to stick to your trick or treat? No, <laughs> but, but also yes. No, uh, this, <laughs> this was the hardest by far of the three films to separate the score mm-hmm. and the, the visuals. Mm-hmm. In preparing for this, what I w- did was I, I would sit and watch the movies and then try to really focus on the music only. 
I couldn't do it with Psycho. Mm-hmm. It's so immersive. It's so much a part of the total package that it, at po- one point I just gave up and I just watched the movie. And yeah. that's a testament to how well that this whole thing was put together. This thing is a classic for a reason. This influenced everything that's come since for a reason. And it was highly enjoyable. I had seen clips of Psycho, but I never watched it start to finish all in one sitting. And boy, what a treat. I really enjoyed it. Something that I had read about this film and Herman composing the score is that it was one of the first times that somebody, he got to watch the entire film and fit in the music where the music needed to go. And so I think in that way, maybe that's why separating the score from the movie doesn't work as well. That makes sense. This was a really interesting time and just in technology too. There was a lot of changes. Being able to compose and write to film was becoming easier. And like now that's common practice. Like there's a lot of composers, they'll get a rough cut of the film and they're able to, you know, compose. I think that has a huge part of it. And also just like, so in 1956 too, another film that I would say was hugely influential would be Forbidden Planet, Mm -hmm. which had the very first all electronic film score. Yeah, wow, in 56? Yeah, so I think that just in film in general, things were kind of starting to... Leslie Nielsen's in that? Yeah. (laughs) Sold. It's great. If you like synthwave and stuff, like watch it for the music because it's gonna it's It's amazing you were talking about the the score in general which is you're right it's completely beautiful i've listened to it a couple times just by itself this week on vinyl and it's just fucking jesus it's so good there's a, a couple things that i really love about it the first thing i love is kind of what you were speaking to is you know there is the awesome slasher stuff the classic everybody thinks of it but nobody thinks of right after when you get all the dun, mm-hmm. dun, dun, dun. In the regular times where it's just a normal conversation when she's driving, when they're yeah. in the city, it's so beautiful. favorite thing to do is to just try to as hard as I can picture being there back then in the movie theater seeing this for the Mm -hmm. first time nobody had ever seen anything like this what they did is when you watch the movie they start to build the suspense with the music and the, the tension anytime that the money is brought up the money that she stole and anytime the money is shown this super suspenseful stuff like what's going on and it's building and it's building and she has the words in her head of everybody that's talking about her and stuff and it's getting worse and worse and the cop comes and does this and it does that and then all of a sudden she shows up to the hotel and everything's just silent everything's Mm -hmm. just calm down and everything's fine and she's she's pulled in there and it isn't until the dinner that she has with norman bates where towards the end of the dinner she says something about his mom and he's all of a sudden he flips yep. he does a 180 and he's yeah you you don't know anything about it. it's like wait what the fuck and <laughs> it isn't until the end of that where the music slowly starts to turn away the money never had to do with fucking anything mm-hmm. like the money was pointless That is one of the coolest musical score things I've ever watched done in a movie. And God, I wish I could have been alive back then to watch this movie. I I love that you brought that up because, okay, so I think that's one of the coolest things about film scores is like, okay, okay. So I interviewed Jeff Zanelli once, who's a composer. He worked with Hans Zimmer and he did some of the Pirates of the Caribbean scores and he's done a ton of other stuff. But he told me basically like he always looked at it like sound design is the external world and film scores are kind of the internal world. What's cool about that is it clues us into how our characters are feeling, but it also allows the filmmakers to manipulate us as an audience. So not only are we seeing the money, right? She's so concerned about the money. She's got mixed feelings about the money, but then we're also buying into that. So not only are we feeling her anxiety tied to the money because of that film score, it's like a red herring. He gets to kind of lead us astray so that we don't, it's so hard to think about, but like, think about if you didn't know this film, think about if you'd never seen it, like you wouldn't know who Norman Bates was. You wouldn't know to have any sort of anxiety tied to him. 
And you don't get any clues to that basically until she dies. And she dies early in the film. Which mm-hmm. didn't happen back then. That had to be then. so shocking. <laughs> like, yeah. you just killed our leading lady? What's the next, you know, 50 minutes going to be like? <laughs> the whole normal dude that's actually psychotic, that wasn't a big thing back then either. No. The end of Psycho is five minutes of the fucking investigator trying to explain the mentality behind this guy. Nowadays, you don't need that. Like, everybody knows. Like, the second Norman uh-huh. Bates shows up, oh, that dude's a fucking psycho. <laughs> back, yeah. back then, you didn't have that. And it's really kind of the music that's setting all that up. Because if Norman Bates showed up, and it immediately was like, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you'd know, like, oh, what the fuck's up with that yeah. guy? But they don't let that happen. We're all focused. They do the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And like, the second he she shows up to the hotel, it's just, like, clear. It's so great. It's great filmmaking it's a great example of the power of film music and it still holds up (laughs) totally does i don't know why she didn't just stay in town boinking that hot dude (laughs) there's something i want to pull in from from it follows that i think is put on display here in such a masterful way that it would be really easy just to not even notice it We were talking about how the music guides our emotions through a film. A score kind of guides how you should be feeling per the the director or per the composer. And the moments of silence Mm -hmm. in in this film are epic. Mm -hmm. Especially like the, the one that stands out the most is the shower scene where you know how to feel with those jabs, those string jabs as the stabbings happen, mm-hmm. happening. And then all of a sudden, silence. And the shower's running, and you're left like, well, what do I feel here? What's going on? It's so unnerving yeah. in such a subtle way that it, it just it blew me away through the whole film. That That's one of many scenes where the... Even now. Yes. That movie's been out for 60 years. I've seen it 18 times. I watched it yesterday. The shrieking is done and she's dead. And there is this uncomfortable like, fuck, now yeah. what? What the fuck happens yeah. now? It's crazy. Yeah. Like you're just left. Like, what do yeah. I, I don't know how to feel. I don't know what what's going on. And and boy, talk about just masterclass in filmmaking on all sides. And if Herman was given carte blanche, man, yeah, I think you're right. Like this could... This could be 60% or more music to the meaningfulness of of what happened with this film. My God. Brilliant. It does show like Hitchcock's trust in him too, Mm -hmm. because I do think a lot of directors and filmmakers struggle with having silence in films. You you have to put that trust in your audience Mm -hmm. and they're going to respond to it the way that you want them to. And I think sometimes more insecure directors will just fill it with Mm -hmm. noise. Right with that, that straight on shot of the shower head right at you and it just man what a powerful scene i have a i do have a question and i have a huge fucking problem with this movie (laughs) (laughs) okay who the fuck gets in the shower and turns on the shower just right (laughs) onto them right away this is always a thing in movies i never understand this like who doesn't wait for it to get warm like who's jumping in and then turning it on yeah i don't know this movie's full of holes (laughs) yeah garbage i'm also (laughs) (laughs) and then you get him with the creepy grin at the very end (laughs) rachel Mm. rachel polio did you like this movie it was fine is it okay i had never seen this movie and all i knew about it was that i'm dead serious and i'm so sorry all i knew was that she got killed in the shower but you knew i watched it by myself you know you see kind of part of the wig when he's stabbing her and i was like i think that's a wig i think that's norman bates and then at the end i was like i was right yes so it was actually really you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen 2021 (laughs) right rachel spoilers spoiler alert (laughs) you've had 60 years to watch the movie were you at all surprised like how early she died in the film i was very surprised because i was like is this game of thrones (laughs) why are you killing somebody off and the first that's so crazy film like is Norman Bates entertaining enough to hold the rest of the movie? Apparently he was. Yes, it was fine. But it was, it was, yeah, really surprising. Do you guys also know who that actress is? Vivian Leigh. Vivian Leigh. Janet Lee. Janet Lee. I was way off. That's <laughs> fucking gone with the wind. Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis's mom. So oh, there's shit. a big. Shut the fuck up. A big horror connection uh, there. 
Holy crap. She actually comes back in one of the later um, Halloween movies. Oh. I believe it's Halloween H2O. And she has a cameo and she's driving the Halloween or- water. That's my favorite. <laughs> driving the original psycho car in yeah. it. It's very cute. That's fun. I'm going to ask everybody this. Evil, as far as horror film scores, where does Psycho stand in the pantheon for you? Is this the best? Oh, man. The best? Is this? It's no Jaws, but it's way paver. Where does this stand for you? It's definitely top three. I mean, Jaws, Psycho, and and just for the pure creep me. Yeah, trick or treat. I mean, <laughs> no, Halloween, the main yeah. theme for the Halloween yeah. score is it creeps me out if I hear it. They did something there, but that's just one line. If I had to pick like best track, it would be the the Halloween theme. But best overall score, like I said, I got so immersed in watching this that it didn't feel separate from the movie. So I would definitely probably number one for sure. Rachel Polio, same question. This is a classic. This is this seems like it's just the violin sound like stabbing. Now we associate that sound with stabbing. Like everybody knows what that is because of this film. It's perfect. It it is the best horror film score of all time, I think. So I completely agree, which is why I picked this for our first Halloween episode. First, it has to be Psycho. I think this is the greatest horror film soundtrack of all time. But I'm saving the best for last. I'm saving the connoisseur for last. I want to know (laughs) the opinion of Rachel Reese. Rachel, I am sure that there is some weird indie. Actually, you know, in 1954, there was this bleep de blop de bloop. So I want to hear what you have to say about this. Where does Psycho stand in the pantheon for you? Well, actually, uh, no, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Look, in terms of influence, I mean, I can't argue with it. I do think it is the most influential I mean, people still, just like I was saying, you play this, people are going to know what it's from, even if they hadn't seen the movie. I mean, Rachel, you hadn't seen the movie, but did you, if you heard that sound, you'd know what it was from, right? Mm -hmm. That cannot be undersold. And I think it's important. Now, as far as my own personal favorite, do I think it's in my top five? Probably not, but I'm looking at this from like, which ones do I go back time at a time? Respect the classics, Rachel. (laughs) I do respect them. I'm just saying, this is just my personal opinion. (laughs) Some of my personal favorites would be Christoph Kameda's from like Rosemary's Baby, which was not long after. And you talk about a horror jazz score. That's a very avant-garde. He was a Polish composer, jazz musician. So maybe if you want to see what jazz and horror looks like, yeah, (laughs) check out the Rosemary's Baby soundtrack. Check out Suspiria or Tenebrae, amazing films. And there was a lot of really incredible horror composers and just composers in general coming out of Italy. You know, okay, so this came out in 1960, right? That influenced the next, you know, it's still influencing, but it really influenced the next like 30 years. And then I think that mm-hmm. John Carpenter and a lot of the stuff that happened in the 80s or the late 70s, I guess, that really influenced the next 30 years. <laughs> Sorry, I could talk about, I talk about this a lot. I write about <laughs> this a lot. <laughs> it's a podcast. That's what we're here for. So I guess I'll just leave it there. Um, this was so much fun. This was an unbelievable amount of fun researching, talking, Rachel Reeves, you are a fantastic guest. You have taught me much in the way of horror film. Yeah, we sound like idiots compared to her. Oh my god. Not wrong. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Apparently we need I to have no life. start researching Italian whatever. I don't know. That's it. That's trick or treat. It follows. Actually, you know what? I'm going to ask one more question. I think I probably know the answers all the way around, but trick or treat, it follows Psycho. What's your favorite? All right. So if we're playing Fuck, Mary Kill with these three. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I guess. So I would marry Psycho. I would fuck it follows. <laughs> Keeping on theme with the movie. <laughs> And I guess it pains me to do so, but I guess I would kill Trick or Treat. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened in this podcast. Uh, Rachel Polio, same question. Yeah, marry Psycho, fuck Trick or Treat, and mm. then kill It Follows. Evil, same same question. Marry Psycho, it's so classy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, it is classy. <laughs> This isn't hard. Yes, That's yes what it she is. Says. This is incredibly difficult. David, uh, my dad listens to this. You've made that joke like every single episode. 
That's probably I'll true. say fuck it follows it, it's on theme and kill trick or treat because I can always just play the original acetate <laughs> vinyl backwards <laughs> and bring everything back to life. So there you go. Okay, that's I'm fair. not even that I'm not good. even gonna follow that. I can't beat that. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> at verse course verse pod verse course verse dot com thank you so much everybody for listening this is our halloween episode it's been so spooky uh rachel reeves you have been amazing thank you so much for joining us Anytime. rachel and evil you guys are fucking awesome thank you for everything you do this was the most fun i've had in a long time i very much appreciate it come back next week we are doing a quick fire review of van halen Van Halen, drink that. <laughs> you never, t- you didn't talk about Van Halen. I just did. Uh, next no, week, no. next week, we're doing a quick fire review of 10 albums that uh, came out over the last few months. We will see you guys next time. Adios. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs>